With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. walking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, Katie McDonald, and here's your host, coaching and development consultant and author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, Heather MacArthur. Well, welcome, and thanks for joining us for this podcast. Uh, Katie and I are really excited. Uh, you know, we're, we're walking listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that will hopefully put you in the driver's seat of your own career advancement instead of feeling like you're in the passenger seat, really upset with how other people are driving the car. Uh, most importantly, we're, we're helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career could look like for you. Uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of goal. It's not about the corner office or the highest possible title. It's really about you getting to do the best work for you and knowing the value of that work. So whatever aligns to what you're trying what you're up to in life and what you want work to do for you uh, to support that. So we're going to guide you through some key points, uh, go over some details that come out of the book uh, that Katie mentioned that I wrote, The Little Man on the Totem Pole. Um, and it's all about optimizing your skills that you have and what you want to build and acknowledging and showing your value to the world. Each episode, we explore a concept and we bring in outside viewpoints, stories and tips that reinforce that concept. Mostly, we're here to start a low man on the totem pole movement, meaning we don't want anyone settling for being or feeling like they're on the bottom of anything, um, figuring out what your top achievements are, what that looks like to you, how you want to contribute. And the point of all this is, is any role that you're in, you're extremely valuable and you matter. It's just a matter of, are you positioning yourself to be where you're supposed to be? If it's up the ladder, let's get you up that ladder. If it's out and about, if it's in your own business, if it's where you're at right now and just elevating what that is, whatever it is, we want to help. So let's start with today's uh, topic and we're going to uh, go over the chapter that I've got in my book called Minding Your Mindset. This is really the foundation of everything in the book. And so um, in your workplace and in life, there are basically three mindsets. And, you know, for me, when I go to coach somebody or I go to work in an organization, I'm looking to see which mindset uh, are people spending the most time in? And uh, it really breaks down to three types of mindsets. You've got your safety mindset, looking good mindset, strategic and helpful. And when you're uh, in your safety mindset, this is where most of the fear is really cropped up. And you have to remember that in the workplace, uh, your job is so tied to your sense of survival. 
uh, we, we kind of tend to downplay this a lot, but your, your paycheck pays for your well-being, your survival. And if it's not just the financial survival that, that's at stake, it's also the tribal survival. So, you know, it, are, are you getting ostracized or kicked out of the, the popular group in, in the team? Are the decision makers not talking to you or do they see you negatively? Are there reorganizations going on? You don't know how that impacts you. All that can trigger someone's safety mode. And when they're in safety mode, I like to describe them as drowners. And uh, some of you may be lifeguards, and if you haven't been lifeguards, maybe you've seen Baywatch, new or classic, whichever. Be <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if not, go watch them, and you'll see a lifeguard in action. But you know, I like to imagine you know a lifeguard swimming out to save somebody drowning. And when you think of it, you know, how how does a lifeguard even know someone's drowning? They see someone either flailing around, or oftentimes just passed out floating on the water. And so when a lifeguard goes out there. Uh, the main thing that a lifeguard has to watch out for is don't let the drowner pull them down into the water with them. They're, they get that that person's making some very panicked decisions. Uh, but I can't ever imagine a lifeguard swimming up to somebody drowning. Let's say that person flails around and tries to smack them in the face. Uh, I, I can't see a lifeguard getting super offended and going, you know, oh, I'm sorry. I just swam a mile to come save you. And now you're being so rude. I don't know who raised you. I'm going to swim back to the beach. And uh, when you're ready to receive my help, wave your little hand and maybe I'll come back out and try to help you. And that's just not how it happens. But in the workplace, we don't recognize people who are drowning. And so we get offended by them. Well, you know, there's usually extreme behavior, like they're lashing out and they're very territorial and very rude, very defensive. Or they're like that floater in the water. They're just, it's like they just shut down and... People will describe them as lazy and apathetic, and really they're just in a survival mode, and they don't know how to shift out of it. But we get offended by it, and the first time we get offended by it, that's literally us allowing them to pull, the, pull us down with them. So that safety mode, it's, it's the most dangerous place to operate from in terms of our career. Uh, what I found is during all the changes, probably in the last 15 years, where you've seen all these organizations do reorgs and layoffs and you know lay off some people, hire them back years later, but that that fluctuating kind of approach um, is great to kind of create variety in career, but it's created a lot of instability in the workplace. There's, it's not the retire with the gold watch thing. So people are, you know, triggered by that a little bit more often than we used to see. However, more and more people are getting used to this is just the way the business works. So the, the next one they go to is the looking good mode. And looking good mode is I'm not so worried about my job security but it's lurking. I'm worried about my reputation because we get that, like, we always hear, like, oh, relationships are what make your your career uh, excel. And you see people who it's a little bit tougher to pinpoint. They're what I call conditionally helpful. So what they do is they're they're doing good work and they'll work well with other people as long as you don't threaten how good they look. And so they show up conditionally helpful, but if you do something or you're in somehow the way or you're threatening them, then they'll do a lot of what, you know, passive aggressive types of behaviors. So it might be that the manager is starting to really, you know, like your performance over theirs, they may start to kind of do these little passive digs at you. It might be that there was a mistake on something and instead of taking accountability, uh, they'll throw some other people under the bus. And you know, oftentimes these people are described as, you know, shady and untrustworthy. But the truth is all of us get triggered to our looking good mode and we want to protect our reputation. And, you know, anytime you feel your ego getting triggered and if it's a who do they think they are or do they, don't they know who I am, those types of things, definite sign of, of looking good mode. 
the hard part about that is you're really only focused on survival in the workplace. You're not focused on thriving. It's all about how do I hold my position and then also how do I advance it, not how do I elevate everything around me. And your brain's not even being invited to that. And the number one person that most of us have been groomed to look good for is our manager. And uh, if it's not the manager, it might be the executives that, that, that supervise that manager. It might be a powerful person within the organization. But we've all got a level of that that can get triggered on the job. The third version is what I try to help coach towards uh, and help people kind of spend the majority of their time in. And it's what I call strategic and helpful. This is where you've got the most optimism, the most confidence, the most uh, belief that things are going to work out for everybody. And so you show up with, yes, you care about what you want out of something, but you're also able to incorporate what others might need, the bigger picture, the long-term results. Um, at, at this stage, you've got to think about it from a brain's perspective. Your brain has um, quite a bit of sophisticated operation in there, and your, your midbrain has been around the longest, and it's totally wired. To, to get you to survive. The prefrontal cortex brain is that part that makes those good decisions and kind of creative decisions in the moment, very rational thinking. Um, if you're hopeful, optimistic, view things as working out, you're inviting your brain to, to lean more on that decision-making brain where it's what's the best thing for myself, what's the best thing for everybody. It tends to tell the eyes and ears to pay attention to everything because you're in this open state of receiving. When you're stressed and you're fearful in the looking good or safety mode, you're actually telling your brain to shut down and laser point to the nearest escape route. Hmm. So you're actually unable to see what others pe- might need. If you're not actually inviting your brain to be as creative. So that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me throw it over to, to Katie a little bit. Well, just kind of uh, picking up on a lot of the points that you put uh, into the book specifically about what starts to sparkle about the strategic helpful mindset it's it is tough to get there if you're not there yet and it takes a lot of practice to get there but one of the one of the ways that you outlined the idea of being strategic and helpful that really i think resonate with people that are ready to walk into their workplace and have that consultant mindset and be ready to include everybody's greatness is that you actually say in the book i'm more an enthusiast than an expert So that kind of counteracts that looking good mentality where I have to be the number one top dog and know everything about everything in order to survive. You need everyone thinking that you know all the answers. The reputation that you're trying to build is that you are dedicated to helping find those answers and teamwork is going to, uh, teamwork is going to be a part of that, uh, a part of that dynamic. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'll go back to that midbrain kind of prefrontal cortex. That midbrain's been around to help us physically survive. So we've got to get that for generations, we've been practicing physical survival. And so that whole, I've got to be better than other people. I've got to have all my ducks in a row. Everything's got to be perfect because, you know, the, the strongest person wins. That's such physical survival. But in most people's workplaces, maybe not everybody's, but most it's really no longer about physical survival. It's about <laughs> interpersonal survival. Do you get along with others? Do others want to work with you? Uh, are you easy to kind of throw into different teams and groups? So this idea of knowing everything is actually setting you up to be harder to work with mm-hmm. because you're not open to other people's input. Right, and that goes to that siloing of information, too. In the extreme example, that's kind of the uh, the drowning person mentality, too. I've got to hold on to what I think is this life buoy, which is all of the information that I have and nobody else has, 
And sometimes we see that when we're interacting with people in the workplace. We think, why will, why are they interested in hoarding this information? What are they gaining by not sharing their expertise or not sharing their resources? And it's, it's the opportunity to recognize that uh, somebody that you're working with is operating from a place of fear and coming at them from that lifeguard perspective rather than, okay, well then you raise your hand when you're ready to be saved from the ocean's waves. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, look, I'm not saying that this is easy either. I think, I think, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I wasn't held enough as a child. So I don't always have like all the confidence and sense of self-worth so that I don't feel threatened by other people. I mean, I, 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 I wrote this and I still, I see myself get triggered all the time. Well, coming to that, in your book, you have you actually have some fantastic examples of the way you've interacted with people working on all three uh, portions of this spectrum. I wondered specifically, you have some really great examples of having interacted with uh, safety mindset peers at uh, different places without your within your career. I wondered if you had an example. Um, that you wanted to share. Of course, all names have been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, <laughs> but well, uh, you know what? I, I'll I'll go with uh, with it, with actually a very where you don't have to change the name to protect the innocent because I'll go with me. Oh, all um, right. Because I think the first step in any of this is can you navigate yourself before you go try to navigate other people's you know mindsets. And I wrote this, uh, I wrote it for a class on collaboration and I had just like launched myself into consulting. And so I was in this, you know, when you think about like fear getting triggered, I had left a very stable job with not a whole lot of a game plan. I was like, I'm a unicorn. I'm going to do this. I'm a free spirit. (laughs) And I jumped out into consulting and one of the major contracts I was looking to get, they were going to order this collaboration class. And so they asked me, you know, come in, teach a sample. I taught a sample. There was a gentleman in there that he, you know, we didn't click. He, you know, he kind of stopped in the middle of the, he wasn't doing the exercises and he stopped me in the, during a break and said, you know, like, what school did you go to? So I was already <laughs> irritated with him. I didn't give him too much mind. And then um, uh, one day I was working out and I, you know, I was new to consulting. So, of course, I had my email set up to alert me if I had a client email and I wasn't really getting client emails. So when something showed up, I was on my treadmill, you know, I pause it, I look at it. And I see this guy's name, which I don't recognize. I just recognize the company. I'm thinking it's a vendor contractor Hmm. and uh, that I'm going to get this contract set up and get the gig. And instead, he's asking for a copy of my work and that he's going to teach his own client uh, the the class. So I'm I'm immediately my brain. You know, there's a couple of things going on. I'm already a little insecure because I'm out of my my element in terms of quitting my stable job. So. My first thought is, who does he think he is? That's the first sign of looking good mode. And my second thought is, I'm going to be homeless and have to get like a glitter sign because I think (laughs) glitter should be incorporated into homeless signs more. And, you know, I've got my corner picked out and, you know, I come from growing up poor, so I'm very quick to slide to that. And this so is it. This is a, yeah. <laughs> this is like, yeah, I'm, all my worst fears are coming into play in my head. And really all I had done is received an email. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I email off something kind of passive aggressive, which is such a looking good mode thing to do around copyright law, which, by the way, I, I copied from like Wikipedia page. I don't know copyright <laughs> law. And, you know, I send it to him and I go to my car and I'm upset and I'm melting down and I realize like, oh, my God, this is this is over the model that I'm actually teaching. And here I am slip sliding down it. 
And I, you know, so I had to kind of do some mind tricks with myself. And the first one is like, how do you jolt yourself into strategic and helpful is you have to tell yourself everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I said like a year from now, I'm going to guarantee myself that I, this first year in con, you know, consulting on my own uh, is going to be the one of the most successful years that I've ever had. I'm going to make lots of money. If that were true, how would I engage with him right now? And it, shifted everything. I wouldn't get petty about this. I wouldn't even care so much if he got the content because I'm not worried about my future. And, you know, so I called him up, asked to see if I could meet with him in person. I mean, he reluctantly agreed. And then when I came in person, you got to remember, like, I I see a little bit like thermostat and and thermometer. Like, you know, I reacted like a thermometer. He set the temperature at 105 and I was like, here's your 105 plus five. (laughs) Right. you know, by me saying, I'm going to like move it down, I went down to about, you know, 70, a nice pleasant 75 degrees. And, uh, you know, he, he met me at like 95 degrees. He was a little, he was a little off, off with me when I showed up and he sat down, he's very kind of distant. And I just laid it on the table with him. I said, look, you know, here's, here's my deal is this was a contract. I had my, had a lot of uh, expectations around it. It threw me off when I got his email, but I want to help him whatever he needs. I'm going to give him. And, uh, you know, it went back and forth. Basically, he finally opened up and said, you know, he was an intern at the company. He didn't realize that I owned the content. And he promised the client that he was going to be able to teach it at no cost. So we've got a looking good mode situation here. He came to me looking good mode. I didn't recognize it. And I allowed him to start pulling me down with him. And um, so, you know, but here was our chance to actually get creative. So we went back and forth, and what we came out of it with is he'd teach the class. I wouldn't charge them for it, but then he'd help kind of champion that this class was relevant. We'd do it as a test case for the company, and it actually ended up getting a bigger contract than I expected because I had his backing. You know, it, it, it worked out great. I don't think it always works out like happy bow tie kind of ending, mm-hmm. but my whole thing is is I had a choice to either drown with him or show up as my best self, and I... I think the more people kind of recognize they're always in danger of letting fear slide them through that. It's more about can they see that it's happening and can they have the, 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 the wherewithal to stop and go, okay, how do I really want to show up regardless of what this other person does? Well, and that is such a fantastic example because your first step in recalibrating uh, your expectations of how the scenario was going to go and how you were going to strategically, you know, change the temperature, uh, to use the thermostat example, was to take that really hard step in reaching out to him, sitting down with him, and understanding where he was coming from. That is not the natural inclination, I'm going to say for myself at the very least, <laughs> to sit down and find out what the other person's side of the story is. But by doing that, you find out he is an intern, he is not aware fully of the protocol surrounding what happens when you are, uh, you know, getting a train-the-trainer from a contact vendor. He thought this was a train-the-trainer situation. It most certainly was not. But getting to that information, to that shared experience where you are starting on a baseline, if you're trying to build something together, you all have to start from a level ground. So having that planning meeting to, uh, to put that ground level is really tricky when somebody has already thrown a pile of rubble on your building site. Um, oh, totally. And and please know, like, one, I want to give him credit to being even open to getting into a meeting with me because, sure. you know, as much as I could say I, I recalibrated, like, he was still open to talk, which was, this is part of the battle. But 
I'll also say, like, there's two things that were going on while I was getting myself through that conversation or even to the conversation. One, I wanted to throat punch him on a several, several <laughs> occasions. Like, I don't think this I didn't like this guy. I didn't think he was cool. I thought he was totally full of himself. I mean, people who show up in looking good mode and and safety mode, it's the ugliest version of ourselves. It's a huge turnoff to other people. Yeah. So I, I couldn't stand him half the time. The others, I'm sure he couldn't stand me either because I was clearly in looking good mode too. I was, I was very kind of abrupt and very, you know, not the version that most people get of me. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is, is while that was happening, as much as I said, oh, this year is going to be one of the best years, that was not a steady stream of thought process. Like I, I went through all of that deep, you know, kind of roller coastering from everything's going to be fine to, oh my gosh, I'm going to be homeless and destitute on the street and this is going to be the worst case scenario and where am I going to find glitter? I can't afford glitter. I'm going to put that towards food. Like, I, I'm not going to say that it's 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 this smooth process. It's this idea of do you know what you're trying to do? Are you even aware of the fact that you're being reactive? Because you're you're not going to be able to help yourself if you can't even notice that. Right. So looking at, at what these three modes really look like in you, as well as recognizing them in other people, is a huge part of making those corrections. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That makes so much sense. And that is, that's a great tease to close out this episode, I think, is just being aware, starting to uh, take your pulse for what level you're operating at on your own, looking at your own performance in your workplace or wherever you happen to be, before you even start to look at gauging other people's performance. Let's all look inward. So that brings us to the end of this episode. We want to hear from you. If you have a question for Heather or a story you want to share that has something to do with what we've talked about on the show, or if you want to hear us discuss something uh, from your workplace scenario that's on your mind, or if you just want to tell us what you think of the podcast so far, tweet us at LMTP Consulting. Message us on Instagram, Low Man on the Totem Pole, or email us at lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks with a new episode. Bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.